You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, PJ Team Leader, former Indoc Instructor Supervisor, Entrepreneur, and Physician Assistant, Brian Silva. What's up, everybody? Brian Silva here. Welcome back to another One's Ready podcast. You're in the team room with Peach, Trent, and our very special guest today, uh, Tiffany Hart, SEER specialist. She's going to be talking to us about her career field and her job and how much she likes to get her jump on. But first, I want to uh, get a big shout out to Eberly Stock, a really awesome company, veteran owned, um, based out of Idaho, and they supply really awesome lifetime warranty type of uh, equipment that all of us have a piece of equipment from them or a jacket or a pouch or whatever. And they uh, put out solid equipment. They'll replace anything that gets damaged and make sure that you are comfortable in that ruck. If you're getting ready for uh, selection or getting ready for anything really just out in the mountains, uh, day of uh, backpacking or hunting, make sure you check them out. Use the code ones ready. Like I said, lifetime warranty, they make really awesome products and you should definitely go check them out. Code one's ready. So like I said, we're going to be talking to SEER specialist Tiffany Hart. She's been in the career field for a long time. You might also know her from the Bro Wets podcast. Um, so go check that out also. Make sure you give us a shout. Um, but uh, very honored and uh, glad to have her here with us talking to us about the SEER specialist. So uh, if you don't mind, Tiffany, uh, I'm going to ask you just one icebreaker type question, you know, just a warm up question because all those people out there in SEER, and I was talking to some people today, they're like, I didn't know SEER did things like that, honestly. But um, so what was the weirdest thing that you've eaten as a SEER specialist? And what would you say, I don't know, something that you like that you didn't think you were going to like when you ate it? I mean, I feel like if you explain anything that we'd eat, people are going to think it's weird. Uh, <laughs> so I would probably say the two things that were probably the most disgusting were um, goat balls and, uh, banana slugs, particularly I would, I'm going to steer away from banana slugs. And actually it's funny because you guys had, uh, Justin Gordon on, he's another seer specialist. Mm -hmm. And it was that phase of training where you kind of did, um, rock, paper, scissors. And I was the first to lose. And Jordan, uh, and Gordon made sure he picked the biggest banana slug for me to eat. So He's still got it coming. I'm just going to tell you that right now. <laughs> so it was a nice uh, you see him. But I think, I think the best thing that I've eaten that I didn't think I would like were ants. And particularly, um, you know, like bigger. And the more, the bigger they are and the darker they are, the more acidic they taste they have. And they kind of taste like lemon drops. And I particularly would seek those out and eat those all the time. So. I said the same thing. They're like sour candies. Those big black ants. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was uh, a delicacy when we were up there in Sears School for Fairchild. Everyone had to try that. And of course, actually, those are the those are the things my students would always eat. Yeah, they actually taste pretty good. That's the only thing I've, <laughs> I've eaten that in grasshoppers, but no banana slugs or goat balls. I I don't know if I really want to try that, but there's, I probably there's still time. Try. Yeah, there's still time. I mean, why not try everything once, right? <laughs> once. All what right. about the eyeball? Did they have you guys eat the eyeball? I don't remember. Eating. Well, there's only two of them, so. <laughs> yeah. No, unless you have a few rabbits, so. <laughs> yeah. Everybody that volunteered in my group to eat the eyeballs, they were like, nah, someone else. We always do that. <laughs> All right. So now that that's out of the way, let's uh, talk about more of your career and just kind of introduce yourself, where you've been, um, who you are, and what you do. Um, so my name is Tiffany Hart. I am a SEER specialist in the United States Air Force. I joined the military back in 2007, and I went straight in as what we call a true blood SEER specialist. So it was the job that I had picked to do when I first joined, and it was the first and only job that I had in, in the entire military service that I have served thus far. Um, I initially decided to join the military based upon the fact that I was pretty lost in life. I had no clue what I wanted to do. Um, it felt like at a very young age in high school that my future was mapped out, not just from my parents, but from a lot of people in high school thinking that I should um, go to college right after, get married at some point during college, 
maybe use my degree, have kids, and that was going to be my life. And I didn't feel like that was going to be my story. I felt lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do my first year of college. I luckily got a, a college, uh, a Fulbright scholarship, basically, for track. So I did that, but it wasn't, I wasn't as passionate about it as I was in high school. So I took a year off, and during this year break, I ended up finding out a lot more about the Air Force, researched it, talked to a recruiter. I initially actually wanted to go PJ. Um, yeah. Based upon the information that I heard, I was on a swim team for 12 years. I broke many records, obviously being a collegiate track runner, and I did want to go into a medical profession. So that seemed pretty much right out my alley. But of course, back in 2007, you know, females were not allowed. Uh, so I kind of asked him what the next best thing was I could do. And he actually took out a sear brochure that had dust on it and was like, hey, look at this. <laughs> and I looked at mainly the big things that I looked for was like the qualifications, what I had to do to enter the job. And I realized, okay, this is challenging. This is what I like. This is right up my avenue. And also on top of that too, I was, I did a speech class. My mom would always encourage me to do you know, more public speaking. And of course, once I realized there was, it was a teaching position uh, that kind of suited my fancy as well. So essentially what initially got me into the job was knowing that it was gonna be challenging. I was gonna be outdoors a lot and that it was physically demanding. And throughout time, I actually fell in love with it. I'm taking notes here, Sear, the next best thing. That's the official motto now for, for Sear for, from here on out. <laughs> Excuse me, that was in 2007. My opinion has officially changed. <laughs> uh, I feel like some of there's a tab that says the next best thing that someone's wearing right now. You're not still thinking about the PJ thing? Oh, if I, I actually got asked when I was deployed, um, I think it was by a PJ, if I can go into any job and go back and do it, what would I do? And I told him I would be a combat Hey, <laughs> lip flopped now on that us. I, Shots fired. Now that no I know big what deal. Does, uh, <laughs> at the time when you first join, you just don't know. And I was also with, where was I at? I was with Moffat PJs. So then again, I don't know if they were, you know, what I saw is what I saw. So <laughs> nice. that's perfect. <laughs> Those guys I, I at Moffitt would love this episode. Yep. Oh yeah. No, it wasn't bad, but you know, you just, uh, what I yeah, saw, saw, what you saw. was you the only glimpse <laughs> that I saw and I had a PJs operationally. Right. So when you see nice. that, you kind of just assume big picture, which is a bad assumption that they all do that, which they do not. So. Now, Hey, and you weren't alone either. I mean, I didn't know anything about combat control. I originally came in as a PJ found out about combat control while I was at Indoc. So, and then I swapped, but, uh, so, the with the seer specialist orientation course like obviously it is a a struggle for a lot of people at what point did you struggle like what were some of the friction points that you had the so the struggle that i had was pull-ups so before i even joined before i even took my seer pass test i saw you know obviously all the qualifications and my upper body strength for me at the time was not strong uh i was a runner so that's what I had in the bank there. So I uh, remember attempting my first pull-up, could not even do a single one. Um, back in 2007, it was six to enter. So uh, I got myself a personal trainer and worked on pull-ups pull nonstop, along with my push-ups. Push-ups were not bad, but pull-ups was something that I really did struggle on. And uh, I get asked all the time, what's the best way to get better at pull-ups? And it's actually more pull-ups, you know, just creating that good muscle memory perfect practice makes perfect. So if you're going to do a pull up, you better do it right. Not those little, not those little, you know, kind of half ones. Yeah. You do them all the way down, all the way up. And uh, it helped me, it helped me with my struggles. And that was probably the main thing that I struggled with. That was probably the only thing that I struggled with and which was good to have uh, that one thing that I had to work on. And I still work on continuously. I always improve upon my pull ups daily. So so, I mean, did you were, you know, collegiate swimmer, collegiate runner, did, did you have to prepare at all? Or did you just kind of come in cold going like, well, you know, you're, you're getting handed the dusty brochure and you're figuring out what Sear is. Did you just go, all right, let's, we'll do it live kind of thing. With, uh, so I was a sprinter. So anything beyond a 400 meter for me was <laughs> a no go. 
so the fact that I had to run a mile and a half, I was like, are you crazy? Um, so I will say that before I joined, the only thing that I did to work out and the only thing I did to prepare, um, which I am cautious about telling people this, is because of my athletic background. Because everyone's body composition and their, their background um, and their athletic ability is very different. So I say, you know, you might not want to do what I did. You might want to prepare a little bit more. But I just did the pass test every time I went to the gym. I just gave myself that deer pass. Um, I made sure. And sometimes that would be my warm-up, and then I would just lift later on. So, uh, and by the way, I had no idea what I was lifting and doing anyway. So, it, you know, obviously, I don't know, obviously something worked. But the biggest thing is that that's what helped out is um, I gave myself the exact test with the time uh, limits in there, with the rest stops in there. And by the way, when you actually give yourself the test, it's a lot harder than just, you know, doing push-ups here and there and pull-ups here and there and then the run, whenever you want. When you actually do it the way it's prescribed, it's much harder. So I think train as you fight. Um, that's the best advice I can give there. And that's what I did unknowingly at that time, and it helped prepare me a lot. You're right. And that, that whole test, the past test is designed to do that. It is designed to fatigue you. And a lot of people make the mistake of training. I'm just doing a lot of pull-ups. I'm just doing a lot of sit-ups and push-ups and so on. And they never actually tie any of them together. And I, I can, I've probably done 10 past tests with people that say they're ready to go. And then they show up and they were like, man, I, I, I don't know why I failed. I, I had no problem with this. Have you done, have you done the full test at all? Nope. I didn't try it. I'm like, dude, how do you, how can you do that? How do you know? <laughs> I can do a hundred pushups when I'm rested. Yeah. Like what's the big deal? I should yeah, still yeah. <laughs> so Tiffany, did you, um, obviously 2007 age of the internet still, uh, did you, and I think YouTube was around then as well. Uh, did you go on YouTube or did you, were you able to find any information on Sear Specialist? So, uh, I mean, I hate to age myself, but the, I felt like the internet was a little bit more foreign back then, right? But I was told to look up GoSteer. I think it was GoSteer.com. And they had information on there. Essentially, they were showing components of the past test and how to conduct them appropriately, which I thought was very helpful. Um, and that's basically kind of what I went off of. I think they also had like a training program on there. I could not remember, remember it to say but I think I do recall trying to do a few days of that. And beyond that, I know they had 64.4 information on there, which is a survival handbook. And I kind of started to read it and I was like, there's no way. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to take it with, you know, a, one day at a time and whatever they give me, I'll just learn it that way. And uh, beyond that, that's really kind of all I got. I didn't, I tried to Google a little bit more, but the only other thing that I really looked up was banana slug versus snake. Uh, video because we we had a rumor that we were going to eat banana slug. So my buddy looked up <laughs> banana slug versus snake, and that prepared me to not eat that insect. So. <laughs> nice. Anything about, uh, about just it. along that same training vein? Anything about rucking um, specifically? Because I know the sear pipeline is fairly heavy on that. You didn't do any of that kind of stuff uh, prior to showing up. No, I did. I remember I had a buddy who gave me his West Point ruck. Um, it was super old school and he was like, Hey, and I didn't even try it cause it was about to fall apart. So I did no rucking. The first time I put on that ruck was, <laughs> uh, the minute they gave it to us, nice. uh, thank God. And this is why I also tell people like, thank God I was this track athlete. I had very strong legs. You know, we had a lifting program in college. Um, I was able to adapt and kind of overcome. I will say that I was not the best at rucking when I first began, right? I was like middle of the pack, but thank God for muscle memory uh, and really good cadre and instruction. I will tell, I tell people this all the time is that even if you might not be prepared on certain things, you might not know how to sharpen a knife, which I did not know how to sharpen a knife before I got there, um, you know, or tie certain knots or rock a certain way or how to even wear a ruck. They teach you everything. What you have to do is be a sponge and soak it up. You have to listen and then do it and regurgitate, right? And so that's all I did. And I think for me, it helped with me not going in with a lot of knowledge because I was, the nerves helped me soak up that information. I wanted to learn more. I didn't come in knowing a lot of stuff and then blowing off their instruction, which I've seen that happen before too. 
So with the ruck, after we did, I think it was a seven, eight mile hike in Government Canyon down in Texas. When I did my test, um, I knocked about a good 10 minutes off my test time. So I was pretty happy with that. And rucking was my strong suit throughout, one of my strong suits throughout team. So I didn't have a problem with that. Nice. Which was so pull-ups I was still, you know, working on. <laughs> right. Well, like based on uh, the, the uh, dusty pamphlet, uh, your dial-up internet searches, and I'm sure your recruiter was just a wealth of information. Uh, what was, what was your expectations for what SEER was going to be and what was the reality and what, if anything, surprised you about what your actual job was when you first got on the ground and got running? So what I was first told about SEER is I was going to kill a rabbit. I was going to teach and I would be put into a box. And that was it. And I was like, this is a very interesting job that I'm going into. So obviously, one thing that they started to integrate back in 2007, which we, we were one of the first teams for it, is they started a pre-team. And this is where you had a couple cadre um, kind of introduce you to what SEER specialists actually did. They would maybe make you, make you teach a lesson, make you do a firecraft, make you uh, teach a shelter craft lesson. And this kind of got everyone a little bit of taste of what it would be like to be a SEER specialist. And actually, in fact, because of them, them doing that, we lost about five or six really good guys because they actually realized what SEER is now or at least they did at that time, and they left because they knew it wasn't for them. So thank God now with recruiters, right, they now have this wealth of information, and they are more in touch with the communities that they know and can explain this. And there's, you know, podcasts like this that are helping get the information out there. Um, so luckily I had that little glimpse. And when I got that glimpse and I went through SVD, I fell in love with the job. So for me, I was not surprised when, you know, we got to my first duty station, which was still Fairchild, and I was actually applying uh, the job and the duty. Like, I loved it. So for me, that worked out very well. So you, you get through the pipeline and you're, you're an instructor, like, right away? You just, you know, back seat, front seat, whatever, and then you're an instructor? Almost, yeah. Almost. You, uh, you graduate? I mean, and you like maybe have a few nights of drinking and partying with your friends and family, and then boom, you're straight into the field flight and you're back to being nothing again. By the way, like you, it was so exciting, right? Like you graduate, you're like, yes, I'm at the top, I've done it. And then you get there and they're like, you're not even really technically seer yet. So sit down and let's learn. And uh, you start from square one kind of again. And they said, we're going to take everything that you applied in training. And we're now going to use this to build you into this instructor so that you as a young airman can carry these crews with higher ranking individuals who have a lot more experience and knowledge in the military than you do, but you're going to be telling them what to do still. So um, basically you go through a certification process, which is a six month time period. It should be six months. Uh, for some, it's a little bit earlier for some, it's a little bit later. And then after that, you're a full on qualified instructor. And then they start you off slow. And then of course they, you know, it's like a crawl, crawl, walk, run. Yeah. I, thought, I always thought that was really interesting how it was like a senior airman, you know, it was the same rank as me when I was going through senior school, but uh, mm -hmm. there are a bunch of majors and colonels and, you know, super high ranking people that are pilots and, you know, top of the food chain type of guys, you know, all the fire pilots and guys that have attitudes. Um, and a lot of them have egos about themselves on you know whether or not they should listen to a seer specialist that's a senior airman but uh i, I saw it go kind of the other way um also whenever i we first went out there because a lot of them want their hand to be held the whole way they're like i don't know what to do i'm totally out of my element uh put me back in a cockpit in a chair where it's air conditioned and i'm comfortable like they don't know what to do once they get in there and they kind of fr freeze so do you have any weird experiences kind of like that? Yes. I mean, um, I think there is pros and cons to, I mean, being a female instructor in a way. I know this sounds strange and I normally never bring this up, but uh, I never had a bad student really. And I think that's contributed to the fact that when I had female students, they saw a female doing the things that they were, you know, they saw me as a female teaching a lesson and, um, doing all the objectives and they were like, oh, and they had the confidence that they could do it very easily too. And they did. Um, and then I had male students who made sure to never, 
to never complain and they had to outperform me right because yeah i was their female instructor yeah. which they were sad to you know to see that they were like man she's really good at her job because this is not happening um but it was good and yes there was a few times that i had students out there who never seen snow before uh, it was the first time ever seeing a cow in their life uh <laughs> on the way up there they were like i mean i had one student who talked for hours like i can't believe it was a cow you know, it just would go on and on and on. And I was like, this is going to be a very interesting field experience. <laughs> and um, I actually always appreciate those students, in all honesty, because those are the ones who listen intently. Those are the ones who performed uh, almost perfectly out there because they had no idea what they were doing. And therefore, uh, their keenness with my instruction was dead on. And they did very well for themselves. Hey, you didn't That's have to like, break any scar tissues or bad habits. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. Like, yeah, I just want to make it. I alive. would say they do. I would say the ones I had to break bad habits of were uh, the ones who apparently did like Cub Scouts, Eagle Scouts, uh, Boy Scouts, anything like that. Those were some of the the ones I was like, okay, simmer down. And then of course, as you can imagine, some of the fighter pilots that were going through. Um, I had one at one point in time. I had to, um, you know, professionally. I had to professionally get on him of course, of course. for, uh, you know, having his guys being late to a lesson and, and not, uh, you know, being the good element leader that I asked him to be and doing some of the things I asked him to do. And I remember he's like, do you mind just stepping out of the room for a second? I said, yeah, sure thing. And I was still in training at the time. And uh, poor guy, one fighter pilot had a bunch of PJs, steer guys and like tackies, right? So that's all he's dealing with. <laughs> and um, all I can hear through the door is, I will not be yelled at by an airman. And on top of that, I will not be yelled at by a female airman. So you guys better square yourselves away. Ooh. And I, would, I just thought it was kind of funny because I was like, okay. And he ended up giving me the best uh, critique at the end of the course uh, because he ended up learning a little lesson in um, being humble out in the Humility. field and you know, being replaced yeah. by my youngest airman who was a PJ because <laughs> he just couldn't do his job. So it's amazing what you can learn uh, when you're out there and, you know, it doesn't matter on your rank or your skill or your job. You know, I've had many different students out there who do really well or, you know, they learn a lot. That's, that's awesome. You learn a lot about yourself and a lot of the courses we go through because you're just mixed in with such a wide variety of people that, like you said, some people have never seen a cow in their life and some people have never been out in the forest or seen those kind of trees and mountains. So yeah, I think that's really awesome. So you spent a couple of years as the instructor and then, uh, as far as deployments as a seer person, uh, you know, for PJs, I guess, and CCT, you get videos of like, okay, PJs are going to go, you know, be in a helicopter, fix wing, jump, rescue people. CCT, you're going to go drop some bombs. SR, you're going to go be sneaky and hide places and do stuff like that. First year specialist, you're just talking about the instruction aspect. So what do you do when you're downrange? I mean, you're not really doing as much instruction. What kind of stuff are you doing? Well, I mean, when you think about it at the core of who we are, we are still instructors. Um, so there was still some instruction, which when I was deployed, it was back in 2012. So there was still like some army units out there who would actually ask for SEER training. Uh, there were some guys who had to get HRIs while they were in theater still. Um, there was some um, uh, non-governmental organizations who asked for like specific escape training or something like that, who were going beyond the wire and doing certain things that we were authorized to give them training for. So we did do a little bit of that, but that wasn't much. Um, I know Justin had hit on it, but we do a lot of advising out there, um, particularly with personal recovery. And uh, that's kind of our niche. There is, we kind of get put into this personal recovery, um, you know, aspect and the whole cog in the machine. And uh, we're there to kind of just help give information. We're not there actively uh, doing the recovery, but we are there if anyone does need help. So of course, since we were given the students this instruction, that if they were to get shot down or if they were to cross stitch, whatever it might be, and find themselves on the ground, we have this wealth of knowledge to know like, hey, this is where they should be going. This is what they're doing. This is a signal that they'll be using. So therefore, when we send in any type of recovery force, 
um, traditionally, you know, they're asking us like, hey, what are we looking for? Um, and also too, like getting information on that individual, that air crew member, and possibly passing anything pertinent along that could help, um, whether to find them, where to help locate, whether to um, give them medical support, uh, anything of that sort. So what I've noticed in SEER when it comes to deployments is a deployment's kind of all what the SEER guy makes of it. And uh, if you're constantly looking for work and you're looking to help, uh, you will always be employed. So uh, that's one thing I noticed because you'll hear sometimes uh, that we will, you know, sit down in front of a computer and just review ISO preps and EPAs all day. And don't get me wrong, I've, I've done a fair share of those because that is somewhat part of the job to make sure they're done correctly. But at the same time, uh, you know, there's a lot more out there if you're looking. Yeah, that was one of the uh, jokes from one of our previous podcasts talking about SEER people and they just somehow, because you're great at public speaking, great at people, getting people to like you because that's your job when you're out there as an instructor, you know, initially. But when you're deployed, you can mix into everyone. You're like, hey, this is what I got to offer. And then you can go out there and pretty much find yourself on a lot of different plate in a lot of different talks and a lot of different missions than, you know, mm -hmm. like PJs, because we're kind of stuck to our team and you guys are out there as like a more sole entity and you can be kind of farmed out to anybody that might need that kind of stuff. So I thought that was really, I mean, I was kind of jealous about, you know, the amount of freedom you guys had of lateral movement back and forth across the compound. But, um, and we always kind of joked about how you guys always had your own little compound at most of the places that we go. You always had the best uh, <laughs> re reintegration well, type of equipment. As I say, listen, it, you know, when you have, a reason for everything, right? So it's our reintegration center, which you guarantee, you know, that all the guys tricked out with like the best PlayStations or ever like, oh, you know, like, you know, an IP might need it because they want to decompress. It's like, okay, that's what it is, huh? But it was great. Yeah, if you had really good leadership out there, you got to move around quite a bit. Um, you know, I got to rub shoulders with everyone up in Masharif up north and the Germans and help them actually established their joint operation center um, because they were going off on their own and uh, they were going to be in charge of their own recovery because recovery was getting pulled basically from the Bagram area of Afghanistan from them and uh, they had their own extraction teams and they were coming up with everything on their own and so they sent uh, me up there along with the JPRA representative and we helped them establish that and that was amazing with the PR background uh, and you know training that I got before I left. And then on top of that too, I even got to go down south and rub shoulders with the Brits, the Apache pilots, uh, who were amazing. And you know, give them a little bit of um, instruction on what you know, based upon what we can give them. And uh, they appreciate it just in case they ever found themselves on the ground. And it's stuff like that where you didn't think you'd be able to do it, but when you get asked to do something, if you just say yes, I'm the type of person that if you were presented with the opportunity, just say, just say yes, uh, because you have the tendency to look back and be like, man, why did I do that? And most of the time you never regret it. So exactly. all part so of networking. Yeah, exactly. You guys are good at it. So you talk about pre-deployment training. Um, like I said, for everyone else, it's kind of more straightforward. You're going to this AOR um, area responsibility and you know, you're going to cover down on whatever there's mountains, you know, PJ is going to train in mountains. There's a river or something. You're going to train in that. So for you guys, what kind of pre-deployment spin-ups and what kind of training do you guys get since you mentioned it? Um, well, and if you got lucky, you got to go to some, probably some like Griffin uh, shooting course beforehand. So at least you knew, so at least it made you look like you knew how to handle a weapon. Um, because it's, we're, we're not like constantly shooting and handling them, so, but they wanted to make sure we looked like we could so we don't embarrass ourselves out there. Um, but they do put us through some of that. We have a shop called XP for experiential training. And so these guys, it's kind of like their niche in what they do. So Actually, a lot of it, I got the breakdown of the chain, um, of how it works out there, the entire cell, and uh, basically, like, you know, basically what uh, J1 or C1, right, is, and basically this information that you never got as a SEER specialist before that is just kind of well-known in the Army community. And, of course, you know, different ranks, uh, training, and... Uh, different training on basically the geography of who we're going to be dealing with and 
how you know they treat individuals and what we can and cannot teach one another. So a lot of it was informational. It wasn't as much hands-on training because we're not really doing much hands-on over there. It, since we're the, the ones rubbing shoulders with one another, we need to make sure that we know and have the knowledge to speak appropriately on things and know and make sure that we are um, we are giving information to make sure it's to the right people and that's within you know the guidelines of all the uh, security training that we get. Yeah, and that's huge for those guys that are going out there just basically you're learning another language, learning all about the culture and being able to relate to the air crews or whoever's going to be out there like, hey, this is what they do. This is what you're going to expect. Use this hand, not this hand when you're waving to people or don't mm -hmm. stick your, your feet out the bottom of the helicopter because they don't like that kind of stuff or, you know, all that different stuff that we used to get briefed and we're like, oh, I never would have thought of that about that kind of stuff. But, you know, that can incite and spark, you know, whatever kind of take happens because they just think, you know, to them, they see you as using the wrong hand, like flipping them off, basically the same thing to, uh, to those people. So all that stuff is super important whenever you go down range. So um, kind of switching gears a little bit here. Um, where do you see the SEER career field? Because I know, you know, everything's changing within spec war from every career field and the merger and all that stuff going on. What do you see for SEER specialists as far as uh, the future? Well, it's hard to say. I've been, I feel like I've, now that I'm in the reserves, I've been out of the loop just a little bit uh, with some of the things. I do know that because of the whole COVID situation that they are, um, they are adjusting training just a little bit. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have, we have students go through SEER training. They go through this 19 day course that is um, level C. So it's high risk of isolation. And what they're realizing is that even though we group everyone in this high risk of isolation bubble, not all of them need this very intense 19-day uh, course that we have been putting them through. So they're starting to group up people. It seems to be in three different groups now that they are taking um, like maybe OSI agents or flight attendants or even just kind of like basic medics and putting them in, hey, you're going to get these five days of training. I don't know if you guys ever heard of ECAC before, but it's evasion conduct after capture. And it's kind of like the meat and potatoes of what they need to know. And that's, I feel like it's something similar to what they're getting. Um, right now, I currently train um, heavy crews. So, well, I mean, I have refueler crews, but kind of along the same line. So the heavy guys, right, C-130, C-17, C-5s, um, and then also the refuelers. So, you know, KC-135 and now the KC-46, these guys... You know, when you think about it realistically, they're, they're not going to be really landing uh, or kind of egressing out of the plane. They, uh, and, you know, all the refuelers had their parachutes taken away. So they always joke about how there's basically a big bomb. So why would they land anyway? Uh, so traditionally, these guys might get, if they do endure any type of seared training, it's going to be because something erupts in the location that they're at. And then they have to go ahead and do their seer training so we're going to adjust away, to that too why do they take away parachutes from you want to get a little of this to save money <laughs> oh. whoa i like why i'm telling you right now every single 135 pilot that we ever had to go through seer training is so disgruntled about it because they're like why am i even going through seer training uh apparently they <laughs> took no joke they took parachutes off to save money so that they can like put more gas on the I don't even wow. know. I'm it, sorry, refuelers. You guys aren't worth, I guess, the 10 pounds of gas or whatever. Uh, it's cool. Yeah. They're brand new platforms, so they never break down and nothing ever goes wrong, <laughs> yeah. so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, they're very nice planes, I'll tell you that. So uh, the way ahead <laughs> looks to me, you know, <laughs> like we are adjusting accordingly to what's kind of happening in the environment around us. Uh, and that's really kind of about it. We are, we're still saying like, hey, we're going to give you guys the best training available and um but we're going to tailor it a little bit more to you and that's kind of about the way ahead when i when it comes to the whole spec warfare i'm not going to speak upon that in all because i'm not the most um educated on that i don't want to give away any type of false information um i read up on it sometimes but that's not something that's directly in my lane so i don't want to give any cool i get one of my favorite questions as per usual so like Brian's done, I got to get in my question. So we get this all the time and it's brought my personal favorite question and it's going to be your personal favorite question. Uh, day to day life. What's it like as a SEER specialist? What do you do? I'm sure it's the same every day. 
Uh, one thing we know for certain that when you went from active duty to like guard or reserves, uh, your day got a lot better. People bring you like lattes for lunch or whatever. I don't know. That's just the, the vibe I've been getting yeah, from the You don't the have to do things if you don't want to. Yeah. yeah. It's like, no, I'm fine. But just give us like a, a general breakdown of, of, you know, a, a normalish day as a seer specialist, uh, active duty versus uh, reserves as well, please. Okay. So, well, I guess it kind of depends. So what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to give you guys a day in the life of a base level seer specialist, because after you get away from what we call the mothership at Fairchild, you are most likely going to be just a base level seer specialist, whether you are attached to a PJ unit, an RQS, um, or whether you are attached to an air crew unit. Um, you are that seer guy for that unit, right? We are, we are support for them. However, they still need us to fly. So we use that to our mission. Um, but essentially, these guys go through, you know, SV80 and this long period of SEER training. And every few years, they need refresher training. So what you're doing is when you initially, when air crew initially gets to their base, you have to give them a local air survival training. So you always give them that. So you're given that often because you have people coming in, coming out. Uh, you'll teach emergency parachute training, do refresher on that. You'll do a refresher water survival training. You'll do a refresher combat survival training or non-combat survival training, depending on whether you guys are deployed or whether it's a training base. Um, and you teach conduct effort capture. So all these you're teaching kind of like mini steer lessons for these guys. Traditionally, we try to tailor these down to like two weeks out of the month, right? So for two weeks out of the month, or possibly even one, depending on how, upon how many air crew you have, you're doing this refresher training for them. Um, the other few weeks, we traditionally reserve for your own currencies, the fun stuff, paperwork. You know, the Air Force is full yeah. of it. Um, you know, additional duties and stuff like that. Uh, jump currencies, if you do have, if you are jump qualified, depending upon how many qualifications you have, you need to be upkeeping those and staying sharp on those. Um, any type of uh, upgrade training as a SEER instructor. And then, of course, also like going to, you know, on TDYs. So that's essentially kind of what your, your day is like, is you're kind of doing anything and everything to accomplish those things for the month. And it's kind of, it doesn't have to be Groundhog Day because you're, if you're in charge out there, you get to make your own schedule. Essentially, the difference between active duty and the reserves is that in the reserves, you're doing the exact same thing, but it's just everything compressed into you know, however many days that your unit allows you to work, which I will say this is that as a steer guy, you're not working just the weekends and a 15 days a year. Uh, I work today. I traditionally work during the week if I do, because I'm allowed to move my, I don't have to work weekends. They allow me to move it around. And when I give mass training, I will work on a weekend, but traditionally I'm working anywhere from one to two weeks a month still as a reservist, depending. So you still work quite a bit and you can work more if you'd like, but, um, you know, you're quite busy if you, uh, do everything right. Uh, that sounds pretty canned. Like I see those sear compounds that you guys have on all the bases. There's something happening back there. You guys are throwing ragers and I don't know. You make it sound like it's all work and no play. <laughs> uh huh. You guys have all the best uh, stuff. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> She's just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Smile and nod, smile and nod. Next question. Yeah. <laughs> Stay in your circle. Uh, what was that? I'm kind of thirsty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> People won't get that right now, but they will later on. Yeah. <laughs> they will later. <laughs> okay, so um, – you hit on that a little bit and something I want to talk about now, which is not necessarily related to SEER, but you have recently become uh, one of the personalities of a rather growing and successful media group. Uh, it was brought up earlier, you're, you know, you and Jesse Wiseman are on the Drinking Bro Edge. You guys launched a couple months ago um, as as with the drinking bros with Dan Holloway and Ross Patterson and Jared Taylor. And you guys have got a very successful um, podcasts, plural and a business. And then you also started up your own company called American heart. Do you want to touch on any of that? Yeah. So um, I think if you're looking to go into the military, but I will say this, there's a lot of people who do want to go into the military and they want to go in these particular jobs. Um, and there's even SEER guys that are active duty still in, 
but either things are changing and evolving for them and they want to find themselves doing something different um, and working different avenues, but still doing SEER at the same time. And so for me, I end up taking a break from active duty and you know, I guess probably one of the, the hardest struggles of being a female in a job like mine and with my husband being special forces in the army is that we're gone often. If, you know, and our schedules kind of don't really fully mesh. So the only thing that I found difficult is just if I really want to start settling down and trying to have a family. And so for me, it was kind of a no brainer when I heard about the reserves and the opportunity that I could still do my job, which I love so much, but, um, you know, actually stay in one place for a while, as long as I really want, um, at a unit that I, that I like and kind of pick and choose my schedule at the same time, be able to work on some of these other civilian goals of mine as well. So with that, I got an opportunity to go on Drinking Bros a few times and uh, they they liked having me on and they decided to start a female spinoff. It was something that was highly requested for a very long time. And so essentially Jesse and I did an episode together and it went great. And they were like, cool, keep recording then. And we ended up coming out with our first 10 and we were on the charts for a while and that was pretty incredible. Um, so that's a great avenue for me. I've always, I mean, I'm an instructor, so I love the sound of my own voice. I think most of your guys do. <laughs> uh, so talking on a podcast was wonderful. And of course us being two chicks, we can talk all day long. So the fact that I'm now doing that and then getting paid for it is, is great. And uh, I also did have a dream of one day being an entrepreneur and starting my own business and getting you know, out part and going, just working part time allowed me to do that. And I think, I don't even think I would say for sure that my background in SEER and just in the military in general has helped really groomed me to um, transition to that entrepreneurial role and being my kind of own boss and working in the business realm because you learn a lot of really good, you learn a lot of really good work habits in your job that you apply because, um, but in this instance, when you're at your own boss and you're doing your own job, like everything's on you. So if you fail, it's on you. And so that's kind of how it was in training too. Like I couldn't blame anyone else if I failed except for myself. Because if I, you know, failed to train, then I failed. And so in this point, it's the same thing. So I kind of using that pressure that I felt back in the day to now and a lot of different aspects that I'm applying and it's, it's great. So it's working out. And so now I feel like I kind of have a little bit of the best of both worlds. And um, I get asked often, like, hey, are you going to go back into active duty? And that's the best part is I can. Um, with SEER being an undermanned career field, I can go back into active duty, um, you know, if I choose to later on at a certain point. Or if I just want to stay reserves and retire out of the reserves because it's tacking on to my active duty time, I can do that as well. So flexibility that you have and the options that you have are kind of limitless, whatever you choose to do. And I'm really happy with uh, the path I'm on right now. No, I'd agree. And, and, you know, for the listeners, the reason why I ask that question is because we actually get it a lot of, you know, out of the special warfare career fields, you know, we each have our own niche job, but how does that translate into the civilian world and stuff like that? And people, I mean, all the time, hey, once you guys retire, or if somebody only does six years, 10 years, and they get out, what are they typically doing? And I mean, like there's all kinds of answers. There's, there's contracting, whether you're doing a staff job, whether you're flying, doing an, you know, ISR sensor operator or other kind of contracting, there's law enforcement, there's the alphabet agencies, there's all kinds of different things that we can do. And, and like you just took it and then went the entrepreneur route, which is also what a lot of people do. So I think air force special warfare and the soft community in general really helps build and foster a lot of those characteristics that will enable people to be successful when they do eventually go out on their own, totally on a soapbox yeah, there. Absolutely. That, um, <laughs> sorry, it, you broke up there at the end. Um, one thing I got, I get asked often is like, what are you going to do when you um, get out of the air force? Like what do SEER guys normally do? And I'll be honest. I was like, well, SEER guys normally actually become SEER contractors. They just stay within that realm. Right. 
And, um, but I've actually seen guys open their own businesses and become very successful. Um, or, I mean, we had no joke, probably one of the meanest guys who to work at resist, resistance training to this date. Um, and he was just like one of our, he was just one of the flight chiefs that you just didn't want to mess around with. And he became like a manager of like our human resource or something of Walmart. Like he had to deal with customers on a daily basis. And we're like, wait a second, you were, how is this possible? Because you are not a friendly guy, but he used all of his seer knowledge and his background in the military and everything that he learned. And he got up that, you know, uh, the management position very high in Walmart right away. And he was making six figures. Uh, so all the guys were like, I'll, I'll just work for Walmart then. But I will say the options are limitless. Whatever you choose to do, a lot of stuff that you can do applies. And we just had a chief um, when I was last at Fairchild who was retiring soon and he was interning as a tattoo artist. And uh, he's in love with it and he's great at it too. And of course, you know, he's going to be always employed with steer guys and, you know, us in general. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's wonderful at it though. And it kind of depends on what you want to do and the lane that you want to go in on. But I think whatever you want to do could work. Yeah. I think yeah. one of the most important things that you learn from being in these career fields is how to be competitive and then how to get that extra edge. I think all of us um, have been in that situation. Like we're around alpha type all day, all the time. And we're, whether we want to admit it or not, always competing against whatever, like he's, even with lockers, like you go to another person's locker and you're like, dang, where, where'd they get all that nice stuff from? How, how'd you get your locker to look so nice? Why are you always so set up? Like, you know, it's just everything that we do is just ingrained in us. So, you know, when we look at starting a business, we look at the competition and we're like, all right, how can we do better? What are they missing? What can I do and provide that, you know, all these people can't provide, but yeah, I think I just wanted to throw that in there and we just constantly try to improve and make ourselves better. Just like, you know, the ones ready, you're drinking broettes, uh, American heart, uh, dot co. I was just checking it out, but, uh, super awesome. Like just constantly making ourselves better and, uh, becoming that person we want to be so yeah speaking of doing stuff absolutely you know getting better at things are you still skydiving your face off or what <laughs> so well here's a here's the thing i know uh i've had i've heard comments before oh those steer guys all they do is just jump and they strap hangers or whatever else mm -hmm. uh i'll say this uh i got i want to even say lucky because it, it was my own luck i created it myself but i uh was leaving, I was about to leave Fairchild. I was trying to PCS out of there. I had a lot of time on station. I have seven years time on station. So, you know, I was going to get out of there quickly. And, it, and an ad came open for Edwards Air Force Base, which um, was a test parachuting, which was a test parachuting program, but they also integrated that with SEER. So I would be a test parachutist, but also a SEER specialist. So I'd get my base level SEER uh, knowledge in there and trained up on. But I also get to skydive. And I was like, this is awesome. And I didn't have, you needed to have free fall for that. And I said, you know what? Screw it. Because worst case scenario, if I'm the only one who clicks on this job, I'll get it and it'll send me the free fall. I had all my ducks in a row. I clicked on it. They had already non-volunteered two individuals to that job before me. And they were like, we are mm -hmm. not non-volunteering anyone else because these two guys are bitter. And I got the job. And a lot of people were like, how'd she get this? She's not even qualified for it. And everyone's like, she was the only one who clicked on it who, who had met almost all the qualifications except for that one. So when I first got there, I immediately went through free fall school. Um, and then all, you know, the jam schools and tested a lot of different parachuting systems, a lot of different equipment. We always had like TACP units and whatever. I was trying to give us stuff to put on the approved for use list for them. Uh, jumped with a lot of different, different teams. And uh, it was a wonderful position because I asked, I love to teach, so I still got to do teaching. But then also the last the other two weeks I was jumping. So of course, as you can imagine, you know, we're jumping at civilian drop zones and you get qualified on what we call advanced parachute systems, which is basically just your civilian parachute. And, uh, you know, you do some fun jumps here and there. So I've actually not really done that many civilian jumps. Most of the jumps I've done are military. And uh, yeah, I was a test parachutist, fully qualified. So that's something that the SEER career field is like, hey, you need to upkeep those qualifications. So I'll have units. And the last unit I jumped with was the um, PJ unit at Patrick Air Force Base. 
Squidway group. They have a lot of uh, great jumpers there, a lot of really good guys. And so I'm attached to them and I jump with them and uh, give them training and also learn from some of the courses that they go through as well. So, so Patrick's I, good, I just not have to pay for it and the government lets me do it and they pay me to do it, I'll take it all day long. <laughs> that was awesome, Brian. <laughs> I love. All right, we're throwing shade at Moffitt and and yeah. building up Patrick. There we go. Patrick, thumbs up. Who is anyone in Florida? Oh California. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm not throwing shade. I'm just being. I'm just being honest. <laughs> That's okay because we know it. We know people at all of them. Those, those guys out there in California just recruiting combat controllers, not you know. Yeah. By the way, Moffitt was like forever ago, and I was a I was a young seer you know, see your guys. So I, and I only saw myself. So So speaking of being young, I know for me, and I think the other guys too, one of the things I always say to the new people is uh, coming in is uh, the the only thing I can guarantee is that if you work hard and you keep saying yes, like you said to everything, um, the only thing I can guarantee is it's worth it. At least for me, it was a hundred percent worth it. So I kind of have a two part question. Um, Looking back at your career so far, was it worth it and why? And then after that, just your last piece of advice, uh, one piece of advice you could give someone that's going to start the pipeline to not only make it through the selection and everything else, uh, but have a really successful career career and to come out the other side thinking it was worth it. I mean, to me, it was absolutely worth it. I'm the type of person that I don't like to look at the past and do the whole what if game. And, oh, maybe if I would have met someone instead or finished my degree in college. Like I am so happy with the path that I took. Um, it's saying yes to all the opportunities. When I, if I really want to sit there and name off everything that I've done and all the things that I've accomplished and all the places that I've gone, the people that I met, it's astonishing. And I get goosebumps because I'm like, this is crazy to think that the, these opportunities were placed in my path um, because of a simple choice that I made. So I will never regret it. I'm so happy to be where I'm at now. Um, and I would say the biggest piece of advice that I have for anyone going through training is mindset is everything. I have seen the strongest of men fail and quit because of their mindset. I'm telling you right now that the minute that you get quitting inside of your brain and you, and it, fest, it will just fester and it will become toxic and it will take over you. And all of a sudden now, in your head, quitting will be the answer for everything. And that's dangerous because eventually it's going to end up, that's gonna be your fate. Um, I was hand selected to go down to Texas and um, help out in the Women in Service Review Board because obviously they were letting women into special operations jobs. And it was mainly just there to kind of observe the pipeline and see if anything like clothing, facilities, anything, training me to change to integrate women uh never and i was like really made sure to keep the standards the same and uh, i watched a pj i guess hell session or something like that and uh the cadre were telling me that this in fact was probably one of the easier sessions i've ever given before but these these guys just were really getting down on themselves and within the span of five minutes of them just doing uh push-ups and underwaters 15 of them quit and I and everyone was just in shock and they were like hey do you want to go over and talk to those guys and I was like yeah sure and I you know just kindly asked them I said hey do you guys mind me asking why you guys decided to quit and the guy one of the first guys stood up and he said I gotta be honest I really honestly thought that I could not do it he goes I got into my head I told myself I could not do it even though my body was physically still going and that was major and all the guys chimed in and they're like yeah i didn't think i could do it anymore like i felt like i was letting myself down if i let myself down I let the rest of the team down and so what i'll say is the minute you get into your head it starts this battle this internal battle that you have to deal with so you should be your best friend you should be your best hype man chillier whatever you want to call it um yes you're gonna fail yes there's gonna be hard times yes you're gonna be like man this sucks and that's fine we always joke through the suck because that's the best way to get around it. But don't ever think about that quitting is ever an option. Quitting should never be the end story. And if it is, then most likely you're going to end up there. So that's the biggest thing I'd give. 
That's some real stuff right there. I used to ask them the same thing and I'd go over and talk to them because I was, uh, you know, in charge of the pool session a lot of times. And they just say, moment of weakness, Sergeant, you know, I just, they instantly regret it once they do that. But once they do it, there's no taking it back because the instructors are like, no, I saw you, you grabbed the wall, you walked over to the horn, you know, or whatever. And like, that's, that's pretty much it. We're not going to give you another chance when I, we can't count on you for the rest of the session. And also your teammates have that same feeling of like, no, we already saw you. We knew what you were going to do. Like that's, that's pretty much it. You're choking, you're pushing away from the instructor, you were coughing and grabbing the side of the wall, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so that moment of weakness really overtakes people and it's not, like you said, it's a slow process. You kind of like scratch away the surface a little bit the night before because they know that it's usually uh, Black Thursdays is what we used to call it. Um, they know Thursday it's going to be really difficult and they think about it all night. And then when it finally happens, they're like, nope, you know, I'm pulling, pulling chocks and getting out of here. Um, but yeah, I think that's really important to do and not get letting quitting into your mind is also really uh, – a huge thing and it's difficult to do because you you think about like okay i'm gonna think about not thinking about quitting like how do i how do i practice that trick is think about something else it's gonna be yeah it just should never be an option yeah that's yeah and here's the thing too i'll I'll tell you right now cadre and sierra are looking for heart they're looking for passion they're looking for the people who will not quit no matter what i recall on my first I was the first time I built a firecraft in my life and I had no clue the difference between a coniferous and a deciduous tree (laughs) and I cut down a deciduous tree of course that you know full of water and I'm going at this thing for like two hours straight but I didn't stop I just kept going and I didn't look at them and be like are you guys gonna call time yet and like I just kept going and they admired that so much that they worked with me I mean they didn't time our first few until later but they were like, dude, this girl has heart. She has grit and she's not going to stop. And that's what we want to see. Um, and I'll tell you, that's what they want. Because at the end of the day, when you're a young airman carrying a bunch of students, you have your own heavy pack. They all have packs and one of them wants to give up or one of them gets hurt and you're tired and hungry and whatever. You, and when everyone else is quitting around you, you can't be the one that's like, you know what, guys, you're right. You, you don't have to be the one who's carrying them. You have to be the one who's, uh, you know, in charge, leading the way, inspiring, motivating. So they just want to make sure you just don't have it in your DNA, you know? So it should just never be an option. Out there. Boom. And I think, uh, you know, like your past, like you said, being a collegiate athlete helped prepare you for that. Just that mindset of everything that you can do. And for you guys out there, uh, another important thing, you know, follow like that, put yourself in competitive situations as much as possible mm-hmm. and make sure that you are just constantly sharpening yourself. Don't be around those people that are going to bring you down and they're fine with, you know, a mediocre type job. Um, if that's not the person that you want to be, if you want to be something like Seer, CCT, PJ, SR, make sure you're being around those people that are going to make you into that person and just constantly thinking about how you can make yourself better. We only get a limited amount of time to make ourselves into the person we are. And who knows, something else might happen that'll stop us from, you know, we get in a car crash or something like that, you know, God forbid, and then it's over. We never know when that day's going to come. So take advantage of all the time you got and make sure that you are sharpening yourself as much as possible. So yeah, that was really awesome. And uh, thanks again for coming on and just wrap it up. You guys have any saved rounds or anything? Peach, Trent? Oh, appreciate anything? you joining us. Yeah, appreciate it. All yeah, right. thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. So um, like we were talking about, Seer Specialist, if you guys are interested in this awesome career field, um, they are in a more supporting role, but like Tiffany was talking about, you guys have so many opportunities as a Seer individual to just – get your hands dirty, be outside, eat banana slugs, eat some goat balls, <laughs> go ahead and, uh, you know, test out what your capabilities are. It is what you make of it. Um, just like most other career fields, but this one more so because you are your own entity, especially when you're deployed or you're out there instructing people. Um, you know, I remember my SEER instructor and I'm going to remember them for the rest of my life because they did an awesome job and, um, their job is really important because the things they put you through, um, you're not going to find at a lot of other places other than actual SEER school with that type of mixture of individuals that you're going to find. And then, you know, if you really want to grow your leadership style and skills, that is one awesome way to do it because SEER specialists, as a senior airman, you're leading uh, colonels, majors, you know, whatever through the woods and you're pretty much their lifeline to the real world. And they're going to trust in you no matter you know what you say, you can tell them all to eat ants in which we did, or you can tell them to, you know, whatever 
and they'll, they'll follow you. But it's a huge responsibility for a senior airman to, to take on. And like Tiffany was talking about, you know, she has so many opportunities from going to free fall school and making sure that she keeps on expanding her horizons, not only with the stuff in the military and the reserves, but those uh, business ventures that she's up overtaken. Um, so Tiffany or AmericanHeart.co is the website for her. And then the Drinking Broettes, make sure you go check them out, follow, like, review, all that stuff. A um, lot more, a lot of entertaining stuff on there. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, check out that, that episode. And uh, the biggest thing, I love that, that last statement about, you know, what you should train on for, for those people that are going through is just keeping that quit out of your mind and just constantly thinking about how am I going to make this better and thinking about that next step, keeping that quitting out of your mind. Um, oh yeah. And the last thing I want to make sure we mention again is the pull-ups thing. Make sure, you know, I get that question a million times a day. Like, how do I get my pull-ups up? How do I get my push-ups up? You do them over and over again and you make sure that you're doing them correctly. Um, and then I think the rocking thing is worth mentioning again for those guys that are going out for seer guys or gals. Uh, make sure that you're throwing on some weight if you don't have a collegiate background like she did. <laughs> um, but I think it's uh, important to just throw it be under that weight and know what it feels like. So again, um, Everly Stock, for those rucks, since we did mention the ruck, make sure you go check it out. Use uh, the code ONES READY, 10% discount. Um, we don't get anything for it. You guys get the discount. Awesome deal. Um, so we want to work with people that are like that. They're offering awesome products to people that are going for this career field. So thanks again for listening. And thank again for Tiffany Hart for coming on here and spreading some knowledge about the SEER career field. I definitely learned a lot and had a lot of fun. So thanks again for coming on. And we'll see you guys later. Go out there and each breath. Later. Later.